Welcome to Rebirth of Venus, the podcast where I talk dirty about spiritual evolution, the self-love revolution, and how to embody the archetype of Venus, original bad bitch, every damn day. My name is Caitlin Matanley, and I want to thank you so deeply for being here. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rebirth of Venus. I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. And do I have an amazing treat for you today? Today, oh, it's going to be so good. I'm so happy you're here. Before I get into our interview for today, yes, I have an amazing guest here who I will be interviewing for your listening pleasure. Wanted to just touch on a few things. Um, so I don't know if, are you guys feeling this? Am I just a crazy person? I mean, I am, we all know this, but I have been feeling so anxious as we go into this full moon. I don't even know what's going on. And I just chalk it up to maybe being overly sensitive, but if you don't know, um, well, by the time you're listening to this, it will be two days ago. Today is Wednesday, recording this a little bit early for you. Um, today is a full moon this evening, as well as the vernal equinox, so the first day of spring in the Northern Hemisphere. So it's supposed to be like a juicy, delicious Venus-infused full moon, and girl, I do not feel it. <laughs> that being said, I was just reading a forecast today by, um, who is it by? I believe it was Anima Mundi Botanicals. They're a shop, but they have a great newsletter. Um, they they do like different, I don't know what you would call it, like botanical blends that are medicinal and change your life and tinctures and, you know, shit like that. Anyway, they have a, a really good, really informative newsletter, but they were talking today about how a lot of these Venusian themes can get sort of juiced up and it doesn't always feel like juiced up sometimes it feels more like jacked up <laughs> at least in my case so of course we know by now this is episode 21 we know that those venusian themes include things like relationships things like self-worth beauty your aesthetics the aesthetics of your home even things about your purpose um, the the desires you're attracting into your life things like that and because there's all this crazy, crazy ass fucking energy of the full moon, of the equinox, it's a super moon. I mean, although I kind of feel like every fucking moon is a super moon these days. <laughs> it can really bring things to a head. And so if you're not feeling that juicy, delicious, all those juicy, delicious love vibes that you see posting on Instagram, don't feel bad. You're not the only one. So anyway, I want to hop right into the episode today. And today, and am I am I British now? I don't even know. So our episode today is a good one. I have Hannah Piper Burns here. And Hannah Piper Burns, well, first of all, let's just face it. She is one of my best friends, and she is an amazing force to be reckoned with, not just in the world of witchery, but the world of art, the world of incredible multimedia video um, creativity. I think I just like put those words together in a way that they're not supposed to be put together, but bear with me here. And not only that, but Hannah Piper Burns is the um, hostess of the, of an amazing podcast, amazing podcast called Stars and Roses. And it is a podcast that talks about astrology in the light 
of The Bachelor. And here's the thing. I don't even watch The Bachelor. In fact, the only time I've ever watched The Bachelor was with Hannah at her home in Portland, Oregon, when I was visiting about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. And I watched one episode with her and her partner, and they got me kind of interested because the way they watch this pop culture phenomenon in the light of deeper themes, which we'll talk a little bit about in this episode, was really interesting. And so when Hannah launched her podcast, I was all in and I hopped in, I listened. Like I said, I didn't even know who the hell these people are. And it was super, super interesting. It was so interesting to look at the astrology of love in the light of these characters in pop culture. So today, that is what we're talking about. But let me introduce you to Hannah just a little bit more. So this is her official bio. All right. I'm just going to read it as it is because it's so lit. (laughs) Hannah Piper Burns is guided by the vibrations of her interior life against the forces and instruments of popular culture and the axioms as above, so below, and not either or, but both and yes. Her project-based multimedia practice evokes ambivalent embodiment, intimacy with complicity, and metaphysical mundanity. Did I say that right? I'm not sure. (laughs) She plays fast and loose with the idea of mediums and materials. So over the last year, Hannah has participated in group shows in major museums in Portland, LA, Minneapolis, and her solo show, Venus Retrograde, hell yes, was featured in the Portland Art Museum. So she's also an experimental film and textbook contributor and a film festival juror. And of course, in her spare time, she hosts a podcast that recaps The Bachelor through the lens of astrology, practices casual divination, and enjoys jazzercise. So how much do we fucking love that? Welcome to the show, Hannah. I'm so, so excited to have you here. Hey, babe. Um, I'm so happy to be here. It hit me the other day that part of the reason I'm so, so excited to be here is we've known each other for, since the no- early noughties, Right. And naughty they were. (laughs) Naughty they were. And uh, of course, oh, that's Shirley and Bobby. They've decided to act up for company as usual. Um, Remember that night in the tent? Uh, I'll just say maybe we drank a lot of um, wine. Oh, my God. And we filled this sketchbook with all of these diagrams trying to explain love and attraction. And here we are like 15 years later doing the exact same thing. Oh my God. I actually love that you opened with that story. And and I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to tell everyone the full story just in case. I don't know if I haven't cleared this with Hannah, <laughs> but just so y'all know, this story is crazier than she's, uh, than she's letting on. But we we did. We literally filled this whole book. And the funny thing was, we never found the book. So like maybe it existed only in another dimension. We don't know. But you're absolutely right. I, I wanted to pull Hannah onto the podcast today to talk about the astrology of love and not just in terms of, you know, the pop astrology that we see, but the juicier stuff, just like we did way back when. <laughs> So Hannah, tell us what. Tell us a little more about yourself. Tell us um, what did I miss in your incredibly 
cool sounding bio. <laughs> oh, thank what I, you. What did I miss? What 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 is tell us more about what you're doing, what brought you into astrology, why the obsession with the bachelor? Tell us everything. Um, I would definitely say my obsession with the bachelor um predates my obsession with astrology. Like as long as I've known you, you've been into astrology. And as we've established, we've known each other a long time. Um and uh, I got into The Bachelor 10 or 11 years ago um, while I was in grad school. And um, I think it was at the time, it was sort of like a release valve. And um, that was my cat, Bobby, knocking something off of a shelf. That's okay. Welcome to my world. Actually, like, my cats are quiet this afternoon. They play. Oh my gosh. <laughs> My cats actually do a cameo in like every episode, so don't worry. Keep going. This is this is the poltergeist that I live with. Um, I think eventually he's going to stop. Uh, I apologize in advance for my son. Um, but yeah, The Bachelor uh, fascinates me for a lot of reasons, not least of which because it is a really perfect blend of structure and chaos. Like they make rules. They make rules to break rules. They set up um this kind of procedural approach to romance that is actually really queer but then they shoehorn it into this extremely heteronormative um model because it's basically polyamory when you think about it it's one per i mean in a in a form it's one person dating multiple people and trying to give multiple relationships a chance at the same time but the idea is that you're like funneling it down to the final person. And of course, success is defined in really narrow terms. So um, as a queer person, it's sort of like, it's sort of both resonant and also um, deliciously perverse in like an are the straights okay kind of way. <laughs> you know, like, wow. Um, can we just put that like on a pillow, like embroider on a pillow? Are the straights okay? <laughs> Uh, and it's also, I mean, the show, uh, for me in terms of like raw material, well, I, I enjoy it because it does really tease for me at these larger, um, almost classical themes. Like the word bachelor etymologically comes from like an, an untested night. So it has this struggle baked in. It has the idea of struggle baked in. It has the idea of like there's an epic quality to it that is also a really deeply banal quality to it. There's a lot, I could literally talk about that for hours, but suffice to say, as I started being drawn to astrology separately over the last, I would even say like three years, it's been like a, it's been like a, I didn't even know my moon four years ago to now like voraciously consuming anything I can get my hands on, right? And as I started learning more about astrology, um, ast astrological concepts started making their way into my work because it, again, it's like a really, it, it's using an ancient framework to talk about something that f is very of the moment. And it's like a collapse of the high and low, quote unquote, Um so I started thinking about like the host of The Bachelor. His name's Chris Harrison. 
and his name can be anagrammed to Chiron. And of course, oh. yeah, right. And I think, and he's divorced. I just think there's so, some, something so perfect about a divorced host of a so so hannah real quick actually for yeah. those listening who don't know what chiron like they're like why is that a big deal what does that even mean can you just really quickly interject with the role of chiron in astrology what that even means chiron is a minor planet and a lot of people give it a lot of weight because the story of chiron is i think really poignant and really resonant with a lot of people it's like something people can really identify with, which is that of the wounded healer. So Chiron was a centaur, but he was sort of like the... He was like the refined centaur, and he lived in isolation with his students who would come to see him. And he was a healer, but uh, he himself was wounded with a poisoned arrow, I want to say, and couldn't heal himself. And I think ah. people really respond to irony. <laughs> um, and give Chiron a lot of weight. Chiron, um, I think astrologically might not be as significant unless, depending on position, like depending on what it's close to and who it's talking to. Except for like all of the Chiron or the can the Chiron and Cancer men I've dated who like all feel like they don't deserve love. So <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's real. Like, um, I think all the other all... Chirons are you know they're all the other Chirons are overrated. But man, that Chiron and Cancer acts out. You got to like keep them from breaking up with you out of self sabotage. <laughs> I think it's definitely one of those things that's stronger in some. As, in some aspects and in some styles slash signs than others. Um, and I also, it, interestingly enough, this isn't necessarily astrological, but Chris Harrison's name can also be anagrammed to Karen, who's the ferryman on the river Styx. So I see, you know, I'm, and, and Venus retrograde, obviously um, the name of this body of work that I did is a reference to a retrograde, which we're experiencing right now in Mercury. So it's a, it's a time when a planet appears to me moving backwards to our eye and uh, is usually a time it's both, it's like, I call it's like recursion, which is um, what a, what a gif, an animated gif is based on. So it's the song that never ends. So like uh, retrogrades are a time to examine your patterns because they are making themselves very clear to you in that moment. Mm. <laughs> they're oh, really, yes. they're like really <laughs> showing up for you so you can examine them. And um, of course they express themselves differently in different, through diff different planets go retrograde and affect people differently, obviously. But um, so like, those astrological concepts started weaving themselves into the work I was doing. And now I am, like I said, I'm kind of, well, um, I decided to do this podcast project as sort of an experiment to combine these two passions for me, which I think have a lot of similarities in the sense that they're like often roundly dismissed by quote unquote academics or quote unquote highbrow cultural you know, totally. arbiter, arbiters of taste. Um, I, I want. How can I be an arbiter of taste? Can I just have that like label on a business card? Please. I think someone <laughs> has to pay for you to get into college first. Um, 
the first step is your parents pay for you to get into an Ivy League school. Uh, so you're saying I'm too old now. Great. Yeah, it's uh, you'll yeah. We can only be arbiters of kitsch, which I'm also I'm I accept. <laughs> this is true. This is a label you <laughs> as well. Um, so I totally interrupted you there. Continue. <laughs> no, I just think it's interesting. Like again, and it is about you know um, astrology is also a is a system but it's a system that's not locked in i mean it depends or i guess it's a system with that has a lot of approaches um and likewise the bachelor is a system and i'm kind of trying to figure out a unified theory about like because the bachelor has cycles and how like that cycle is a transit that affects the contestants and their charts in different ways if that makes any sense oh it definitely makes sense i love Um, that and you know, at first it was just sort of a, it was just sort of a thought experiment of like, what if I did start collecting chart data on all of these people and see if there were any synchronicities or like interesting results from that research and kind of take it from there? You know, it's kind of been unfolding as I go because I actually don't you know, it was sort of like, what if I recapped The Bachelor through the lens of astrology? Can astrology is- explain, like, why this guy's such a dumb shit? Like, can astrology explain why he's attracted to this woman and, like, none of us get it, you know? <laughs> um, or stuff like that. And it's been a really interesting experiment so far. I found out some really fascinating stuff. I love it. And I love – what I loved about your podcast is that – Okay, so everyone is listening. What's really cool about Stars and Roses is that it's, yeah, I mean, it's obviously going to be really interesting to you if you watch The Bachelor and if you're interested in it. But even for those of us who don't watch it, it is really interesting to hear about the behavior that plays out, in this case, on on screen for everyone to see. <laughs> um, I just literally can't imagine dating that way. But I guess, do they get paid? I think, you know, I guess money makes everything better. But Funnily enough, the contestants don't get paid. The lead gets paid, but the contestants often lose money because they're quitting their jobs and also like investing in a a wardrobe of gowns. (laughs) Oh, Um, (laughs) because they don't know how long they're going to last on the show. It's super fascinating. That's interesting to me because okay, so I have my Venus sign is Pisces. So basically, I mean, it means that like everyone's a soulmate, and (laughs) so like. I and I'm you um, know, my Venus is in Libra, so I relate. Yeah, right. So so it's interesting that you know I, I wonder is that like the kind that must be the kind of person who gets on the show. But anyway, so what's interest what's so cool about Hannah's show is that you get these really clear examples of how uh, we see the behavior that's playing out, and we can kind of reverse engineer it to see if there's an astrological basis for us for this. And here's the thing. We all do this. I mean, even, okay, literally everyone, literally just last night when I was kind of losing my mind with all this weird full moon energy, I was texting Hannah and I was like, is it, is it the retrograde? Is it the full moon? What, what is it? I need validation. And try as we might, even those of us who are into the depth of astrology, we're we're all looking for validation. Ultimately, we're all kind of reverse engineering our lives. And that definitely goes into romantic relationships. And so I I wanted to kind of- On a side, on a side note, validation is one of the bachelor nation buzzwords it's like a drinking game word it's like every time you hear someone say i just really need validation 
take a shot. So I think oh. it's really interesting that you went there because yeah, that's that's a big thing um, in the world of the show. Just saying. that's so interesting. That's really interesting. And you know, it's funny because when I was when I wanted to do this episode on the astrology of love, you know, I wanted to go deeper than just the Venus signs, than just you know, oh, this sign and this sign are good or bad together. And we're gonna get into that later on, but I. <laughs> I, I was laughing because we all have our stereotypes about certain signs based purely on our experiences with dating them. I know everybody has, like pretty much everybody I know has one, at least one sign. They're like, oh, never again. And of course that's completely ridiculous. But I mean, Hannah, by this point, I mean, obviously with your own romantic life, as well as looking at the romantic lives of all of these other people on screen, I mean, can't we say that some things are true? Like, for example, the Taurus men are boring unless you just want them to stay home and eat a cheese plate. That's true, right? Or like Virgo men are exhausting. <laughs> and they're too busy working on their abs to like, you know, connect emotionally. I mean, I don't know. These things are, are real hard facts, aren't they? They are not. I mean, I think the stereotypes exist for a reason. I And I personally, maybe it's because I'm an earth sign. I'm a Virgo sign. I um get defensive about Tauruses. I have a lot of really wonderful friends, uh women friends who are Taurus oh, and female Tauruses feel like, are amazing. And I feel like the um <laughs> naps and snacks uh myth is unfair. But I think you're right. I mean, and it's true. We were like kind of discussing our stereotypes about different signs uh over text. And at one point I was like, oh I think it's just cis men. <laughs> Right. And it, actually, this is true because pretty much every sign I brought up was like, oh, but I have a lot of female, like I love, I have a ton of female Virgo friends, but like the, like maybe two Virgo men I've tried to date were literally exhausting. And like, I'm a Capricorn also about the earth sign life. I love decadence. So like Taurus, I feel like Taurus men at least are really good inside boyfriends, which is literally a term I read in Cosmo once, which is like, that's amazing, which is like basically like a boyfriend. Obviously, this is like really heterosexual, but you could probably apply it to anybody. It's like a boyfriend who, you know, you hang out with all winter and he has like a really big TV and like a great Netflix queue. Oh, yeah. And his sofa is really, really soft and snuggly, but he has like a major flaw that would keep you from ever being seen in public with him. Well, <laughs> I think that's almost, I mean, almost a, I, well, I think one thing that's really interesting to think about is the axes and like, and also what planets in classical, like what two signs in classical astrology a planet rules. So like Venus rules Taurus and Libra. And I feel like, yeah, there's like inside sweeties, Tauruses are inside sweeties. Um, and then Libras are like outside sweeties. <laughs> oh, they're the best. They're like the best boyfriend. Yeah, like, they'll be kind of shallow, but you know, they're really fun to take to parties and they always are going to like concerts and things and like, but probably they're sleeping with a lot of other people too. So just be aware. Unless, and I think this is really <laughs> important. No, I think this is really important because my sweetie is a Libra, but doesn't. Right. Oh my God. Totally forgot. Doesn't Sorry. <laughs> a lot of the stereotypes. I think it's really funny. Um, and they're like. Definitely, well, their Lilith is in Taurus, so like we can get down on some snacks and some Netflix when we're feeling 
dark and indulgent. <laughs> but, but you know what? They are good at parties so, or just oh, in social situations. Yeah. So. I don't have to like worry about introducing them to anyone or like bringing them into a social situation. I know they've got it. Um, at the same time, this is really important. They have some like Scorpio placements and some other placements that give them a little bit of edge, give them a little Ooh, more. Um, yeah. And also like a more a desire to connect on a deeper level that I think, you know, Libras get this like kind of slutty Libras and Sagittarians, I think are like given the slut uh, shame of the Zodiac. <laughs> and, um, but I think there are like different ways that that can be tempered. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's, of course, this is why it gets back to why it's so important to look at a full chart. And so anyone who's listening who is not maybe not a big astrology buff yet, which you will be by the end of this episode, you're going to want to dive in. You can just go online and just type in free chart. I use astro.com personally, but there are a bajillion websites. You can find your, if you have your birth day and city and preferably your birth time, that will tell you your ascendant and the house placements, which is another thing in astrology we'll talk about in a bit but you'll see where all of the planets are located at the time of your birth in your natal chart and that's the thing and that's why you know you see you meet people they're like oh i don't i'm nothing like my sign that's because that's just your sun sign you have your moon sign you have all of the planets and planetary bodies that are considered important in astrology they all have a placement and they all rule something different and so the more you learn the more you get. And what Hannah's saying is absolutely accurate. Her partner who is a Libra is very different from like the last guy I dated who was a Libra who like, you know, well, great, great person, great person. Like, but I was like, I wasn't expecting, you know, to be the only one. Of course, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't the only one either. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was like, that's very, I mean, that resonates with me so much. I mean, that's part of the reason I didn't it's sort of a weird self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like part of the reason I didn't get into astrology or didn't believe or like whatever, didn't understand its utility for my life and the life of others was because I am a Virgo son and I manifest the style of Virgo in some ways. That's true. But I'm also um, – there are also really, really key ways that I just didn't identify with that description, those traits. So for me, it was always like, that's not me. I'm not a type A neat freak. I'm not a, you know, um, I'm not a this, I'm not a that. I don't identify with that. And then when I realized, you know, that I have a Sagittarius stellium, it was like, oh, okay. That's why my Sagittarius moon is why I'm messy. Not to like distill it, but like that's... I wish I had taken the time to learn more about my chart earlier because it would have solved that problem, I guess is what I'm saying. Absolutely. Fellow Sagittarius moon here. I'm not like hella messy, but I definitely lack the, like I'm, I'm very selectively domestic. I always say like I I'll tidy Indeed. up and I'll be, I'll be annoyed at the mess, but like I am definitely, as far as the cleaning is concerned, it's not really a gene that I received. And that's why, you know, I try to do that as little as possible. And now at this point in my life, hire people to do that. Well, that's <laughs> so, a cap spoken like a true Capricorn. Exactly. Hire yeah. that shit out, bitches. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, I don't, I feel like I, 
I don't let I don't love to clean, but when I'm cleaning, I I think I just recently realized how much cleaning self soothes me. Like that, it Ooh, is like a, a thing I can do to make myself feel better if I'm having if I'm feeling chaotic or not feeling my best, like tidying my, even what's in my eye line or like cleaning, you know, just like taking everything off of a surface that doesn't belong in that room and putting it where it needs to go. Just like little, little things like that um, have really been helping lately. That makes total sense. So um, that makes me think. So Okay, we have all these stereotypes and like I'll just stop because I could just list them all fucking day. Um and literally only based on my experiences. Experience for <laughs> Alex Jones nut jobs. <laughs> yeah, it's actually so funny with cancers. So I actually like I have I have I had like a dear friend who was a cancer for a long time who I dated briefly, but other than that, I have so few cancers in my life to the point where actually the other night I was having drinks with two friends and one of them was a cancer. I they were I was talking about astrology with them, teaching them about like their placements and things. And I literally said point blank, I said, oh, I always forget about cancers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, oh, all right. But okay, so really stereotypes aside, what happens when we take, you know, this pop psychology out of astrology? Like, can we look at the, let's look at the the reality. What are some ways that we can actually look at how compatible we are with somebody, especially in the romantic realm. Well, I think a lot of people would direct you towards Venus and Mars. In fact, a lot of people have directed me towards Venus and Mars in the past, literally, like literally when I've asked about, um, is this person a good match for me or whatever, whatever. And I think, well, let's take it back a notch. So the way that a chart is structured is that there are 12 houses. I prefer using a whole sign house method because I've been learning everything I know from Chani Nicholas and that's what she uses. And if it's good enough for her, it's good enough for me. Um, there are different house systems. And if you don't resonate with a whole sign house system, that's fine. You can use another one anyway. So, um, there are 12 houses, each house, is ruled by a sign and you will have planets, points, asteroids, fixed stars, other things like that littered throughout the houses and the signs. And the way that those planets relate to each other geometrically in terms of, so so each sign is 29 degrees of a circle of 360, right? So if your sign is in a certain degree, you want to look at how far away other planets are from that planet. And that determines the angle at which they are related to each other, determines the way that they look at each other, the way they regard each other, the way they witness each other, the way they speak about each other. And um, I think it's also important to look at if the planet is in a sign where it is exalted, where it's comfortable, where or is it in a place where nobody understands it? Is it at the right party or is it at the wrong party, as Chani would say? Oh, I love that way of looking at it. I thought and that was so good. That's so good. And it's and and basically what Hannah's talking about here is that you each 
each planet or planetary body is ruled by a sign or rules a sign. What what are the other? <laughs> it's semantics, but so if it's if it's in its kind of comfortable area, for example, if when Saturn is in Capricorn, it's a very different vibe than when Saturn is in Sagittarius, where it's like really does not belong. It's at the wrong party for sure. Yeah, my Jupiter is in Capricorn and it is at the wrong party. Yellow. <laughs> <laughs> That's because Jupiter, just to throw it out there, like Ju- and again, I am there there are all these the the beautiful thing about astrology is there's like all these like great myths. You know, Jupiter is a is a figure in a, in mythology and we can look at his story for clues, but it's also interesting to think about it just in terms of like energies and almost math. So like Jupiter's an expander and Saturn's a contractor. Jupiter's the inhale and Capricorn's the ex or Saturn's the exhale and and Saturn rules Capricorn and Aquarius. Jupiter rules Sagittarius and Pisces in classical astrology. So I like thinking about that too like are you an expander being contracted <laughs> right now? <laughs> right? Oh, hurts to you think know. about it. Yeah, thinking about those energies. And then, of course, like, yeah, there are angles. We have, like, obviously elements and modalities. So each sign has an element and a modality, as you know. As a Capricorn, you are a w- fixed Earth. No, you're a Cardinal Earth. Yes. Cardinal Earth. Fixed as Taurus. And I'm mutable Earth, Virgo. And so that means um, if we're rounding, like I feel like also Sinastri is more like Sinastri can be simplified out to different, like two, two houses apart or three houses apart, but it is really about the degree. And if you want to figure out how powerful that influences in your chart, it's important to count. <laughs> um, but like my element is earth. So whatever placements that I have in earth signs trine with each other. And my modality is mutable. So whatever placements I have in other mutable signs square each other. And so there are all of these um, relationships. When you think about a square, that's like 90 degrees apart. And when you think about a like a right angle or you think about like those are pointy, they're rigid. And if you think about a trine, like I think about it as a cradle or as like a tripod. It's like supportive and protective. And so there are all these ways that we can look at the way our planets in our chart talk to each other and the way the planets in our chart talk to somebody else's chart. And that's called synastry. I love that definition. And yeah, I wanted to just go back just a little bit to talk, um, just to give some really simple definitions, because I know a lot of people listening are new to astrology. So as you said, what you're talking about is synastry. This is how these how the planets relate together with those of another person. So let's talk really quickly. Let's define the aspects. So you named a few, and just for everyone out there, these are what Hannah was talking about, about 
the different shapes that are formed by looking at, say, your Venus, your placement of Venus versus another person's placement of Venus. So we have the square, trine, conjunction, and opposition. So Hannah, uh, and you don't have to necessarily go, well, you can go through each one if you want, but what you talked a little bit about the differences and kind of what that means, those different energies. Can you just define those a little bit more? Yeah, I think um, we like to, I mean, we as a species really like in our taxonomies to like make bold statements about things or make judgments about things. And I think the way that pop astrology has unfolded in like astrology meme culture can oversimplify these relationships. So like if you've got a lot of squares going on, that's a challenging placement. Like I said, you can tell by the way it looks like it's a, it's not necessarily harmonious, but who said that was a bad thing, right? Like sometimes you like button, like it depends on the kind of person you are, right? It depends on a lot of other things in your chart and also like where you're at, like, are you pre-Saturn return? Where are you at with your own self-work in the sense of like, do you want a spark? And sometimes friction, a frictive uh, aspect can cause a spark. Do you want everything to be easy? Like, do you want to date yourself? Conjunctions. So for example, conjunctions are in the same sign or within 28 degrees of each other usually, or sometimes within 10 degrees of each other if you want to get really specific about it. And a lot of people think that's good, but, and a lot of people think like, oh, these planets conjunct each other, but it's like sometimes when everything gets dissolved and there's no, like, you know, there's, there's too many cooks in one kitchen, it's not a great thing, right? And sometimes when you're, have a lot of squares with somebody, it keeps things really interesting. So a square is, like I said, 90 degrees. So uh, signs in your same modality. So if your sign is fixed, look at other fixed signs. If your sign is cardinal, look at other cardinal signs. So for me as a mutable sign, I look at Pisces and I look at Sagittarius and I look at uh, Gemini. And if you're not sure what modality you are, you can just, just type in your sign and then modality. You can just Google it. And that will tell you. And it's interesting. It's sort of like if you think about, you know, 12 signs, three modalities, four elements, it all kind of numerically adds up really well. And when you think about a trine, it's three. So like there's four elements, so three signs per element, three trine. And a trine, like I said, so my placements as a Virgo, I'm an earth sign and you as a Capricorn, our placements are trined when they're also in earth signs. So I look at what I have in Capricorn and what I have in Taurus and, um, and what house that is as well. We can get into that later. And a trine is um, supportive, but it can also, again, make things too easy or make things well, it depends on if you think that's if you think things being easy is boring <laughs> or not. I've definitely met people who like to bicker as a communication style. I'm very much not that person. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, definitely. I mean, yeah. I, mean I, I mean, I okay. So I never had dated another Capricorn ever, ever, ever. And then last year, or not last year, two years before I met my current partner, obviously, um, 
I say, obviously, if he's listening and he like starts doing the math and he's like, but wait, (laughs) we're in a monogamous relationship. But anyway, that's not the point. So, and I dated two Capricorns in the same year and, um, one, like, yeah, so neither, neither turned out well, we'll just leave it at that. But one was literally like, so it, it was, it was probably, no, definitely the worst relationship of my life. So emotionally abusive. It was interesting was that the way we would fight was so like terrifying because I felt like I was fighting with like the worst part of myself and it was really intense. Like on a psychic level too. It was just like the the degree to which this person was a mirror, like re and, 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 and like took that and ignited it. I mean, he was a sociopath. So like he did that intentionally, but I also didn't behave well in the situation because of this dynamic. Mm. Um, and I, and I mean, as far as the sociopath thing, we can look at that astrologically. He was like a triple earth sociopath. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> like Capricorn sun, I think Virgo moon and like Taurus ascendant. It was like sociopath. No, but, but it really was like, you know, such similarity. And then as soon as that went to the dark side, hell, it was hella dark. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting point too. Like relationships aren't much like, like your chart is a snapshot, right? Of the sky when you were born, but this, these things are all moving all the time. Um, and that's like the beauty of it. Like I love just maybe this like is stoner talk, but you know, I love thinking about that. Like, Oh my God, all of those orbits at once. And, and um, yeah, just that, just that kind of overwhelming sense of things of change all the time. Um, That said, like we relationships evolve, you know, relationships change. And, um, you know, like I really like going on maybe like two or three dates with an Aquarius because we both have to be right. And that's really fun for like a little while until like we really do one of us have to be right. (laughs) Right. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no. Okay. Not so fun anymore. You know? Um, and that's actually really interesting because, you know, we, we, when we look at astrology of relationships or we look at relationships in general, there's this idea of like, you're looking for your soulmate. But the reality is we have so many relationships over the course of our lives. And even if we're just looking at the romantic ones, you know, a lot of these dynamics are really fun for a period and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And this, you know, this is actually a topic where I'm going into in a future episode soon. I'm not going to get into it now, but like this pressure to, that it always has to be your fucking soulmate is so ridiculous because a lot of these dynamics we're looking at astrology are really fun and they really can help us grow in certain areas and, and call out these aspects of our charts in new ways. But the pressure to like, you know, make it a lifetime thing or your soulmate or your God, I hate this term, twin flame is, yeah. And like I said, we're actually coming, going into that on on an episode, episode coming up, but, (laughs) (laughs) and it's going to be a good one, but yeah, it's just, you know, we're overlooking some of these connections that sure we might decide in the long run aren't perfect, but they can help us grow in the meantime. And And it's like these aspects 
know, they all have a light side and a shadow side. Like you said, I mean, something that's really harmonious might become boring. Something that has a lot of squares might have that spark that keeps it interesting or that, you know, kind of opposites attract dynamic. And I guess that'd be maybe more, be more opposition, but you get my point. Um, well, and like also people are a lot less self-aware present company very much included than often we think we are like how many people have you known that have said some bullshit like i just want someone who challenges me when i hear people oh, say that god. i'm like do you know what that's like <laughs> oh my god actually so that that was actually what inspired the like twin flame conversation right. with a, a with another friend of mine you know, we were, and I, I it was funny because Danielle Page, who's another astrologer, she was interviewed on a podcast I was listening to. And the, the interviewer was asking about like soulmate and twin flame astrology. And she straight up said, she's like, um, first of all, like you probably don't want to meet your twin flame because it's going to be the most painful relationship of your life. And guess what? Just because someone's not your soulmate doesn't mean it's not going to be the best relationship you've ever had. You know, <laughs> like nah. who fucking cares about these labels? Who cares? Yeah, totally. Well, and I think that's something that's really interesting about The Bachelor is that it does really force that on it. And as we saw, for those of you who watched The Bachelor, we saw uh, this last season where the lead got uh, really frustrated and like blew up the system. Basically, he was like, I don't want to do it this way anymore. And it's sort of like, well, that's yeah, you could just get on Tinder, but you decided to do it this way. And um, and there are rules. And um, I think we, well, and I also hear this, like talk about um, sort of like cliches on The Bachelor. People always say, I, he's, th- he's my best friend. She's my best friend. And again, it's like, Ew. <laughs> yeah. Really? I always found that gross. I always found that to be like akin to like stepbrother, stepsister porn. Maybe that's like a really off color comparison, but it's like, okay, me, like like the movie Clueless. Literally, she falls in love with her stepbrother, and like maybe that's okay because they're not really stepbrother and stepsister anymore. But it like, grow up tastes, together. I mean, I it's think it's still it's weird, you know. Well, what's <laughs> really funny? I have on Gossip Girl too. Anyway, I'm I'm getting into as other things. <laughs> as, as luck would have it. So the the last season of The Bachelor that just wrapped, the lead and his. Uh, harem of contestants traveled to Singapore and Thailand. And I can't remember if it was in Singapore or Thailand. They went through a street market and went and saw a a diviner. And the diviner told Colton, the lead, and Cassie, the woman he ended up with, that they were past life siblings. And they were both very uncomfortable uh, in that moment. (laughs) And they were like, ew, what? Um, and I was like, oh, that totally makes sense. Like why I don't get it. Like nobody gets it. Um, yeah. I thought that was so interesting. I love that. It's so, yeah. It, it's so funny how, I mean, a lot of our views on love in general are kind of Disney-fied, I say, you know, with these ideas. And that kind of goes back to what you are talking earlier about, you know, how we really distill down to like – we, we distill these ideas about relationships, about the astrology of love, about these different things down to an essence that isn't even always the most important essence. And so, you know, we talk about planets right. um, and 
well, yeah, let's talk about planets. So, you know, we have the traditional romance planets of Mars and Venus and the traditional, when I say traditional, I mean, it's just like the pop view of it is, you know, that Venus is about what you're attracted to, what you're drawn to, and Mars is about like what turns you on. And obviously it's so, so much deeper than that. But and there's also like a very gendered discussion of that often. It's very heteronormative. And it's like, okay, if you're heterosexual, you're and you're a woman, you look at your Venus sign to see what you're looking for, and for men, the Mars. And I don't really abide by that. So I when I'm looking hmm. at charts for people, I I actually look more, I mean, sure, we look at Mars and Venus, of course, but I look more at some of these other planets. And so in our previous conversation, I mentioned the moon, which is about our deep emotional needs, what we need to feel comforted, what we hide. These are really important themes for relationships. It's about our day-to-day, it's about our day-to-day life. Like again, to bring it back to um, celestial mechanics, which super, super sidebar, my father who... um, is not into astrology, is a mathematician, but he did his PhD in celestial mechanics, specifically Mercury. And uh, I'm a Virgo, Sun, Virgo, Mercury, (laughs) um, which I think is really interesting. Um, But when you think about the orbit of Venus and Mars, they're about four or five years. That's a slow orbit compared to the moon, which changes sign every two and a half days, right? So the exactly. moon, the moon's moving. The moon is changing. The moon is talking to all the other planets in your chart and collecting information and tra- and transmitting information to all those planets in your chart all the time. So it's really more of a day-to-day planet. It's about these more immediate things in your life and how you show up in your life every day. Um, so it makes a lot of sense to look at the moon because that's, uh, you know, that's the stuff of relationships, right? The nitty gritty. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and if you're listening and you're curious about this, I mean, you can go online and run a composite chart. So a chart that incorporates the birth information of you and your partner or your desired partner. I'll be straightforward. Literally, I... Like when I was dating, you know, more actively, I guess is the word. Oh, hard same. <laughs> Definitely, I running. It was running. Oh my god! Oh. I'd be running home. I'd be like, and here's the thing, guys. It's actually it's really. Um, this is my my hack to get anyone's birth information. Because here's the thing: even people who don't believe in astrology, they like to hear about themselves so you just and so here's the thing you talk about you're like oh what's your blah blah you don't say what's your sign oh you can maybe figure out another another planet on the date then you get their birth information they're going to be like all right sure this is interesting because i'm self-centered i want to hear about myself and then people wait for it then you have an in for another date because you say, oh, I have to tell you about your chart. Literally, this is how I started dating my current partner. Literally, this is it. So <laughs> nice. But anyway, so uh, that's <laughs> a good move. That's a I mean, move. I, I got moves, you know. Well, for so, me, it was very different. For me, it was like dating people and like we're looking up our charts and being like, well, here goes nothing. <laughs> 
right? Like, let's see. Yeah. But that's so. So, if you're curious to do this, you can. I mean, you can do a composite chart, but you could even just look up the person's chart and you know look at their moon placement, like we're talking about, um, or any of those other placements without even necessarily seeing how it relates to yours. Although that's extremely important and more important ultimately. And but I didn't know oh. my sweetie's birth time until. Well, let's just say until it was too late. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> already, the feelings had already been caught. <laughs> uh, you, that was a trick. That was a trick and a trap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about Mercury? So Mercury, I mean, most people hear about Mercury only because of Mercury retrograde. And it's like the sky is fucking falling, which we all know by now is not true. Well, yeah, I um, love people who say that and they're like, and I'm like, good luck because the calls are actually coming from inside the house. So Yeah. Watch right. yourself in all you want. I love that. I'm thinking of Scream. Like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. That's too good. But so Mercury rules communication, among other things, but in terms of synastry between you, your your love astrology with somebody else, it has to do with with communication mm-hmm. and and also what you're what you want to explore. And to me, that's really important for love astrology, you know, because I want to know, like, are you going to shut down like a motherfucker when we're trying to, you know, hash something out? Or are you going to actually listen? Um, Do you have any other, what are any other planetary bodies you would like to talk about how that relate to love astrology in maybe an unconventional way? Well, I think Juno is a really interesting asteroid to consider, you know, uh, well, so Chani Nicholas has a great class on Vesta and Juno, which are two out of the four asteroid goddesses discovered in the late 1800s. And at the time, it's interesting the way that the way that she puts it is that the um, the classification of these asteroids as goddesses was an attempt to kind of tip the scales back toward gender balance in the in in the amongst the celestial body, bodies I don't personally like to gender my celestial bodies but it is commonly held that Venus and moon and the moon are feminine and all the rest of them are masculine it's kind of a sausage party if you really think about it so, <laughs> um this was this I was sort of seen it. as an attempt to inject some uh quote-unquote femininity back into that but it is really interesting um when we think about the relationship between um, Juno and Zeus, I won't go into it, but it is like a, it is an arranged marriage and it is about matriarchy and patriarchy and it is about devotion and commitment in a way that like Venus is about desire and about affinity, but Venus is maybe not necessarily monogamous. Not that commitment has to be monogamous, but like Juno is about commitment in a way that Venus is not. Like Venus is, yeah, Venus is about attraction, sure. And um, like how you choose to adorn yourself, what you're the ambassador for was the way someone put it to me once. And I was like, yeah, that. I took a class. A great oh, I like that. Venus, and that's how they put it. What are, what are you the ambassador for? And but Juno's like what you what and and the interesting thing about Juno is looking at where it is can not just tell you necessarily what you're looking for, but it can also or or what you are like, but it can also be a mirror of like who have I brought called in to my life? You know, do I 
have a type, <laughs> for example. Um, right. Very interesting. And I think beyond the beyond those bodies, and Juno, I, I want to be clear here, much like Chiron, Juno is not necessarily meant to be weighted the same as Venus or Mercury. However, if you look at it in your chart and if you go to astro.com, there's extended chart selections where you can look up your Juno, you can you can select it as being as showing. And if you and if it's in aspect with certain with planets that seem significant, if it's in houses that are significant, um which I'll get into in a second, you know, it's one of those sort of situational context contexts. Um so it, it's worth looking at and seeing if it makes any, um, if it's really it, how it's related to other planets in your chart and other points. That's super interesting. And it's funny because I actually haven't done a lot of study of Juno and I definitely will be with everyone else once this gets up. So well, I, looked, I, um, I looked up, it's funny, my, my Juno's in Leo my sweetheart's Juno is in Virgo and yours is in Libra. Oh, thank you. I'm glad yeah. you just pulled that for me. Very interesting. Libra, interesting. And I think, okay. it, well, and as we, when I say that, you know, just to go back a second, like that means, right, that not only is it in Libra, but it's in the house that Libra rules in your chart. So in my case, Leo rules my 10th house of public life and kind of reputation and career, which I think is really interesting. But like, there are other houses that might say more about your romantic life and your partnership life, right? There's the seventh house, for example, which is like your house of committed partnerships and open enemies, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> All right. House, love my open enemies. There's the fifth house, what I like to call the pleasure dome, which is, um, you know, it's the house, it, they call it the house of like babies and conception and like creativity. It's like, it's like the creatrix, the house of, of, um, making something out of nothing, but it's also like the house of your, it can also be a house of like erotic energy. Um, okay, so so hold up. I literally just pulled my chart because yeah. I have it on my phone, and Libra rules my fifth house. Interesting. <laughs> you know, interesting. Well, what Pleasure I'm learning about. So we, you know, you want to think about your Juno, which is like about commitment and about, um, yeah, it's like a sort of yeah, it's a focus on how we commit and also what we call in in others. So like, think about signs are style. So I like to think about it as, which is why I really love aesthetic meditations on different astrological seasons. Cause I think, again, it's like you're throwing the party, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, you want to know what refreshments you're serving and what the music is and who you're inviting. And is it a theme party? Do people have to dress up? Are people not let in if they don't dress up, et cetera, et cetera. But the style of Libra is itself about relationships, right? And it's about balance and harmony and justice. And so that might be something that is prominent for you when you um, 
seek partnerships, like seeking to balance yourself through another or like being really aware of other people's needs or really big need for equality and justice in a relationship. So that might be something. Oh, totally. Absolutely. I mean, so many things come to mind. I definitely have, you know, let's just pick me apart here. Why not? I definitely seek someone who balances me. Absolutely. But that sometimes or often in the past led to someone who's so extremely different from me that we're unable to kind of meet in the middle. And it's funny because really, as you were saying this, I was thinking, you know, my ideal partner um, is someone who is, is, you know, who I can commit to because I do like being in a committed partnership, if that's what I'm searching for at the time, um, who I know is committed to me, who I know I can be balanced as an equal, like we both have different strengths that we help each other, you rise, raise each other up in the process. Um, and they have their own sense of balance where, you know, they're not necessarily that person who's like, partying every single fucking night, but they're still fun at parties, you know? Right. And usually it's like one or the other. And it's like, I still definitely love that, you know, that sort of youthful energy that's exciting, that appreciates beauty and experience and these, you know, very Libran ideals, but also who I can count on. And yes, my current sweetheart is totally checking all those boxes. So again, if you're listening, <laughs> but really it's interesting. and. Thumbs up. Hey, babe. No, but it's, it's really interesting to see that because you're absolutely right. Venus isn't usually about the more, it's about the attraction, not necessarily the commitment piece. And, you know, I want to talk more about the houses actually, because I'm really interested in what, in your definition of the houses and how they interplay into these ideas we're talking about. And so can you tell us more about how those relate to the astrology of love? Sure. I mean, I am still, um, I mean, I want to give um, humility desert, that is deserved to this discipline. I'm an eternal student and very much an acolyte. And I have learned from some really amazing teachers, both online and through workshops and through books, among them Alice Sparkly Cat and Chani Nicholas, like I've said, um, Starsky and Cox, Demetra George, um, the list goes on. Um, so, with acknowledgement of that lineage and acknowledgement that um, everybody approaches this in a different way, you know, the houses also are a clock. So the most important houses are the ones at dawn, um, noon, sunset, and midnight. And in your chart, that's, uh, I want to say one, four, seven, sorry, I have it in my notes. Flipping. I love that flipping sound effect you're using. Thank you. It's yes, it's just the sting I put in. Um, one, four, seven, and ten, right? So those are the most uh those have the most weight in your chart. And then there's the secondary houses that are two, five, eight, and eleven, the succedent houses. Um, so your first house is where your ascendant's going to be. That's, that's the first house is daybreak. That's where the sun was breaking when you were born, coming over the horizon, right? The second house is often called the gates of Hades. It's like, you, that's <laughs> so dramatic, terrible, but I love it. It's like, well, it's the house of, um, your assets or resources, 
Um, so I like to think of it as like, yeah, what you're bringing up from underground, like a seed planted down there or a vein of, of some precious ore or like, you know, um, gas <laughs> or something that you're bringing out, you know, like something that so not something that you're necessarily cultivating without outside of yourself, which is also valid, but something that you're, that you've got already, you know what I mean? That you just have to tap into. Totally. Um, and then you've got that third house, which I think is the house of parents, children. Um, which again, it's like sip or like, well, it's also called the temple of the moon. According to uh, some, it's like the house of the goddess and siblings. So it's not, it's not family. Mm -hmm. It's actually like your, like siblings, neighbors, sort of like next out sort of like yeah like your immediate surroundings and that's why it's called the house of the goddess too because it's like ritual daily ritual like quotidian ritual that you would do every day right and then yeah you move into sort of like then then fourth house so like yeah first house is the house of self then you have the fourth that's like the house of the home and the family that's your foundation you know um and then then you have the pleasure dome so that's like if the fourth is the is the is your home and your family, then the fifth is uh, creative and erotic energy that can create a child, and that child could be a literal child, and that child could be a creative project. And then um, the sixth house is the house of health. It's the house of uh, employers and employees. It's the house of. Yeah, not necessarily career, but the house of jobs. That's how I figured out. I was like, oh, my sixth house is in Aries. And that's why I like working for myself. That's Absolutely. Where, that's where that comes from. Um, that's why I, I don't like to be my – like, yeah, that's why I, I, I like uh, doing my own thing. Um, and then the seventh house is, like I said, committed – committed partnerships and open enemies which is also i think uh, a committed partnership like a nemesis that's a commitment <laughs> <laughs> too true you know what i'm saying um because like indifference is like that's that's like indifference is worse than hatred right absolutely um and then the eighth house um a lot of people think the eighth house like is the eighth house is this one of the scary ones <laughs> Some of them are <laughs> eight and twelve. Eight and twelve are, um, you know, have a lot to do with. Well, eight is like resources that are given to you that you didn't earn. So, like necessarily, or like, eh, interesting. It's but it's like grants, inheritances, and inheritance can also mean something, you know, like a malignant gene or a propensity toward alcohol or right. you know racism um it's also like a, the a, the house of of trauma and maybe death as opposed to the 12th house which is a house of endings so that's interesting to think about what's the difference between death and the end the ninth house is the house of like well the house of astrology it's the house of like religion, education, systems of of learning, I guess. Uh-huh. Spiritual, physical. 
10, like I said, that's like your public life and your reputation, your legacy, which is interesting. Like that's been really interesting for me because my 10th house is in Leo and I actually have some really interesting stuff in my 10th house, like my Juno and Vesta right next to each other, for example, that conjunct uh, my son, Mercury in Midheaven in Virgo. So that's been really interesting to think about like myself as a performer or as somebody who is, uh, yeah, in front of people, like thriving off of their energy and giving my own, which is not necessarily how I've thought of myself always. Um, and then the 11th house is like, I call it like causes, community, collaborators. It's like, yeah, your collaborators, the people that you might call your community, the causes you want to fight for, or like your, like your hopes and dreams kind of. And then the 12th house is yeah. Endings or hidden, like your hidden self. Like if the 10th house is your public self, the 12th house is kind of your hidden self and the, un the collective unconscious. Love it. I think the how it really is interesting how all of these pieces come together and how they give us additional layers for us to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the study of ourselves, as well as our, the study of how we interact with other people. So I want to thank you so, so much. This has been such an interesting conversation. I could go on for at least another hour. I know, but I'm right? not going to. <laughs> But I do have one question to close. Yeah. So you're a Virgo son. What is the best and worst part about dating someone with a Virgo son? Ooh. Um, I think the best part about dating someone with a Virgo son is they notice things. And um, like I think Virgos just see things other people don't. Like they see patterns other people don't. Um, they're really good at pattern recognition. Um, and, and, uh, they will often like, I say, I say, I'd say also like on a more practical level, like they're going to wake up first and make the coffee. <laughs> useful. Very useful. Yes. Yes. We like to be useful. We like to be of service and that can be very nice in a relationship. Um, the worst thing about Virgos is that they are intensely critical. Um, often they're said to be critical of others. I personally feel like, yes, maybe, yes, I am. But I am much more, uh, I often turn that on myself. Like I am extremely self-critical and I feel really sorry for anyone who has to live with me because I just, I, I hold myself to like a stupid standard for what's... <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Like you I'm know? always like I'm the winners, um, and people Hannah? like never. Yeah, I'm extremely. Ext I'm like deaf. My inner critic is really driving, right? Especially it, lately. Um, and Virgos, and they'll. I mean, a Virgo is the kind of person that will like. Um, Virgo energy is like they're so self-critical that then they'll start being suspicious of you for liking them. They're like, how could you possibly? I am so flawed. <laughs> um, how could you possibly? And so then that'll turn into like, oh, like pushing you away because they'll start notice, like they'll start figuring out reasons that that it's not going to work or whatever. Um, another thing I'll say about it is, um, yeah, the 
when a Virgo loves you, you know that they are like intensely aware of every single one of your flaws and love you anyway. Uh, no pressure. Like, but no, at least, at least no, I love I mean, you anyway. Way, it's like when a Virgo loves you, like you really know they love you because they have they have already seen. You know what I mean? Like they they have already decided they love all of you. I love that so much. That's yeah, I love it. <laughs> Well, thank you, Hannah, so much for coming on today. And I hope uh, everybody, I hope you, I hope you have all enjoyed this episode. Are there anything else? Is there anything else you'd like to close with anything that um, you would like to share anything that you want to share about what you're doing coming up? Of course, I'll have all of Hannah's information, both to her podcast, as well as her other projects. Links are in the show notes to this episode. But is there anything else you would like to give a shout out about right now? couple things I want to say well first of all thank you so so much for having me I'm such a big fan of this podcast I've been as you know listening since day one and um so I'm thrilled to be a part of it in some small way and um I also want to say um you know again astrology is a framework for understanding your life and other people's lives uh and like it's it's not um i don't think it's a prediction you know what i mean and i think it's always important to think about the way you know language is points outside of itself as carolyn elliott would say and as astrologers, as students of astrology, as practitioners of astrology, as people who um, love these tools, I think it's really important to think about how we can use them in a way that is inclusive and a way that is radical and a way that doesn't appropriate and a way that doesn't perpetuate the things that we don't want to carry forward with us. Uranus is in Taurus. Let's burn it down. Like, let's make the world we want. For real. Let's plan it. Amen. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode today. And if you'd like to talk more with Hannah or reach out to her, head on into the show notes to find information on how to do that. Thank you for listening. And as always, if you love this episode, I would love, love, love for you to log on to iTunes and leave your review. All you have to do is click your star rating, five stars, of course, and let me know what you think because it is your feedback that keeps this going, that helps me figure out what you want to hear, how I can be of service to you. And I absolutely love bringing you into the conversation.